First Church Charlotte. We want to get started in this time we have together of Bible study. Those of you who are joining us in the First Church uh, community room, uh, we welcome all of you there. Uh, those of you who are uh, joining us on one of the other platforms, <clears throat> thank you for your time. We are in lesson three of Celebrate Freedom. Uh, the goal of this is to help people pursue spiritual, psychological, emotional wholeness and healing. Um, I think one of the great testimonies of the influence of Jesus Christ upon our lives is the power of emotional, yes, psychological, spiritual healing. Jesus went everywhere doing good, healing those that were sick. Uh, he is still doing that today. And wherever you are in your life, one of the continuing testimonies of your life, your testimony of transformation, is going to follow a very uh, biblically ordered sequence. Uh, for example, consider the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. First, they're taken out of Egypt, then Egypt is taken out of them. The way that is lived out, that's a type or an example, and the way that's lived out for all of us is um, in some way, let me push a button here. The way that's lived out for all of us is we need both deliverance from that which hold us holds us in bondage, and we need healing from the damage that has been inflicted. So however you're watching this, if you're watching this as a churchgoer, if you just stumbled across this in your um, channel surfing, uh, I want to say this to you. It is God's will to work a testimony of transformation in your life. It is going to start with deliverance from Egypt. Now, that's a spiritual, biblical, even theological type. What does it mean for you? The things that hold you in bondage, those chains are going to be broken. This is the will of God concerning your life. You are taken out of Egypt. Now, in a process of healing, uh, Egypt is taken out of you. What do we mean by that? This is the psychological, emotional, spiritual damage of the things you have survived. Chances are you have learned how to cope with the circumstances in your life, but you have not learned according to the flesh anyway, according to the efforts of your own figuring, your self-help program, you have not learned how to heal yourself. You've learned how to cope with the damage. You've learned how to drown it. You've learned how to hide it. You've learned how to pretend it isn't there, but you haven't learned how to heal it. The second great process that God will work in your life um, is this spiritual wholeness. Now this continues. God has place and purpose in your life. Uh, you see that in the story of the children of Israel. He puts them in an intentional place. He gives them a land that flows with milk and honey. This is the testimony of flourishing uh, within your life. Now there's two kinds of flourishing that you will have in your life. Um, one of them uh, is family. 
Your family should show your spiritual transformation, your stewardship. It's the will of the Lord that you become the husband you can be by his grace. It's the will of the Lord you become the wife you can be by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The parent, the child, you understand what's happening here. If you have faith, but your family is a disaster, um, it's going to be really hard to walk in victory. Our families are too close. They are... They are, they're, they're the sensitive places of our lives. Uh, it's like uh, asking someone to, uh, asking if you can touch their eyeball. The, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, you can't touch, so it is in our life with our families. Our families are so close to us that if you are having success at career and your family's a disaster, it's, 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 it almost as though that doesn't matter. Um, if you're having success in um, a ministry, even and your family's a disaster, um, it, it's it's there's a it's not the will of God. So flourishing is in your family. Flourishing must be in your spiritual purpose. God created you for a spiritual reason, but you're here on earth. You're working. You're a business person, a career person, an employee, an employer. You need to have divine flourishing there, not wealth at the expense of ethics. Or, But there is a right way where you can do life with God's favor upon you. So you need flourishing in your family. You need it in your physical business, your, how shall I say, your carnal, your worldly business, uh, your career, whatnot. And you also need it spiritually. All this is shown in uh, the children of Israel being taken into a promised land. Um, and that is how we have structured our ministry table at First Church, where there must be freedom from bondage. There must be healing for brokenness. And then there must be spiritual flourishing that happens in your family in your career, business, and in your mission, family, career, mission. These are testimonies of God's favor and blessing upon you. How do we do that? Well, the first way, and if you've been following the last two weeks, if you haven't, I strongly encourage you to go back and catch up. These are spiritual truths uh, that we go through together, we talk about together, we pray about together, and then we are going to end up with uh, a weekend of spiritual purpose together um, on this very subject. But back on track here. Today we're on the third lesson of Celebrate freedom. This is spiritual wholeness, how God heals the broken heart, how he gives us uh, the oil of joy for, or oil for joy, uh, excuse me, I'm talking too fast here, um, joy for mourning. Um, he swaps uh, the brokenness that is within us for his wholeness. That is a spiritual thing that is necessary for for your testimony to be complete. Let me take you here to a passage I am reading in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, and we're going to read at, let's start right here at verse number 15. This is, of course, Joshua speaking to the people, and he says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, flourish. The Lord your God will bless you in the, in the land which you go to possess. However, there's another way you can live that actually is anti-God. 
anti-God's purpose, anti-God's creative mission in you. And we're warned against that. Finally, look down at verse number 19. I call heaven and earth earth as witnesses today against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both your and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life. I love that passage. All right, so this... Lesson three is really about what it means to choose life. Now, we have used the example from the book of Genesis of a tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And both of these trees become spiritual types do you see in our life that are taking us somewhere? They're ways of being. And today we're going to look at how before Adam and Eve consumed the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lived in in innocence. Uh, You can think of this as... um, there is nothing that is holding them away from the presence of God because their heart has not been inclined in its nature against God. And so let's look here at my PowerPoint that I've prepared. Um, I want to read Galatians 5 and 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. You have been called to live in freedom. Um, if you're watching this um, uh, with uh, alone or with other people, I'd like you to say that into the space where you are sitting right now. I want you to speak with your mouth, if you will, and say, I have been called to live in freedom. It is God's intention that I live in freedom. Therefore, when I live under the influence of yesteryear's damage, when I live in the mourning of my earlier self's carnage, um, I am outside God's purpose. I am alien to God's call. I have been called to live in freedom. So uh, let me kind of give you a way to think about this lesson we're going to uh, talk about here. We're really asking the question, what is the fruit of living in the tree of life? In other words, if we're going to continue this agrarian theme, a, a tree and its fruit, a crop and its, um, or a plant and its crop, um, how are we going to think about it? So I wanted to organize it like this. There's four lessons, four things that we need to know. And there's three things that we need to do. Do you, you see what I'm doing there? There's four things that need to be in your head. You need to understand them biblically from the principles of the book of Genesis. And then uh, there's three things that you need to take away uh, from, from this this lesson. Um, and uh, let's, so let's just dive right into this. The first thing to know is that real abundant life only results from fellowship with God. Real abundant life only results from fellowship with God. John 17 and 3. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that they know that they 
Notice this passage, that they know you. Where? What, how, how do we find eternal life? Um, it's by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. That word know, um, if you look it up in the Greek, it's... Uh, uh, Gnoskos, gnoskos, um, which means to um, understand completely, uh, to have true uh, intimacy. In fact, in the Bible, when it fer- refers to a husband and a wife and their relationship, um, they gnoskos each other. They they know each other intimately. Uh, no more secrets. Now, this is the same uh, thing that John is saying here. This is eternal life that you know Jesus. Jesus, whom God has sent. This is eternal life. So let me say it this way. Um, Our path to real abundant life is through a relationship, not through an uh, algorithm, not through a formula of doctrines, uh, not through even a particularly worded confession, um, a particularly celebrated doctrinal inheritance. Um, Our path to abundant life is through the relationship uh, we seek with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way for us to experience that Abundant life is through a real relationship with the living God. And he asks us to receive his love. He did not ask us to move first. Um, Like a a boy writing a, a... a note to some girl he likes. Do you like me? Yes or no? Um, he he moved first. He writes the note. God moves first, do you see? And he first shows us his love toward us that it might inspire within us a responding love from us um, to him. First John 4, verse number 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What is real love? It's the actions of God toward us. It's not the response of us toward God. Think about that here for a moment. Um, It is our reaction to God. In other words, our love is an imperfect love. Uh, It is a transactional love. It is a response to his love. But his love is perfect in that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died. Christ died uh, for us. We are challenged to respond to that love because it is Once you perceive it, it is astonishing. God loved us so much that Calvary seemed reasonable to him that we might be saved. And it's not just the New Testament. In the Old Testament, humanity broke all the covenants we were given. That is why there was a sacrificial system, even with the law. We could not even keep the law. But some people kept it better than others, and they allowed vanity to enter into their heart because although they were imperfect too, they kept the law slightly better. And they missed the point of the law, which was that no one kept the law. And if you uh, transgress in any of it, you bear the curse of all of it. Do you see? Um, That's why sacrifice was necessary. They thought of sacrifice as ritual, not as redemption. 
Christ becomes our perfect sacrifice. And so that lesson um, is very, very important. And that is our only chance, get this, write it down if you're writing, if you're taking notes, our only chance for real abundant life, living in real spiritual victory is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have a relationship. Um, and so let's look here at the second thing to know. Remember, there's four things to know, and there's three things to do or start doing. The second thing there is to know is that in the order of the story of Adam and Eve, fellowship with God results in their innocence, not the other way, not the other way around. Notice verse number seven, they realized they were naked when... First time they saw each other, no. They realized they were naked when they had, through disobedience, been separated, separated from God. Um, they had before had plenty of interaction with God. They were in his presence, but their heart was not in opposition to his heart. There was not an anti-righteousness uh, working within them as selfish, self-serve, Lucifer religion, so to speak. They uh, were spending time with God, yes, enjoying him, and then having been separated through rebellion, they realize they are naked. So uh, notice this with me. Um, when you spend time walking with God, talking with God, um, you become, in a sense, naked to God. There is a transparency in real spiritual relationship. Very, very important. Please get this. This is something to know. There is a transparency in real relationship with God. Um, if your devotion uh, in some way does not reveal to you the transparency that is uh, the result of time with God, if your devotion is about pretense, then you're, you're, you're doing devotion as a Pharisee. You're looking around at other people and compared to them, you look good. And that's why that you're, you have the heart of a Pharisee because you're looking at other people and you're judging yourself by them. I'm not perfect, but compared to them, I'm a real Christian. There's no real Christians. We all are covered by the blood. Then we become real Christians. There's no set of accomplishments I can do that makes me a real Christian. The error, the great error of the Pharisee is that they have a pretend relationship that does. they're not naked before God. There is no transparency there. Um, our goal, our passion in relationship with God has to be pursuing that state of no sin consciousness. Or let me say it differently, Christ has covered my sin. My sin no longer has power because of Christ's perfection, not mine. Think of little children running around after a bath. If you've had any little children in the house, you know the great joy of, of, of having them um, get out of the tub and run around the house naked gleefully. No shame, no sense of embarrassment, no sense of impropriety, absolutely innocent. It is uh, great fun if you're a parent. Um, this is a teaching concept that Jesus chose to use. Not me, Jesus chose to use. Um, what if you were, you're not perfect, but what if you were? What kind of faith would you have if you were perfect? That's the innocence of a child. You wouldn't know you were naked. You wouldn't know you were a sinner. You would have this audacious faith. You would have this expectancy in your heart. Um, and this is why um, we have to um, we have to have a sense of innocence in our coming to God, not a self-review. 
Um, that is living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here's what I know. Starting with me and through the vast majority of you guys watching right now, you probably are serving God with a sense of self-review. How good am I doing? How good have I done? Do I deserve it? That is tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you are eating your own death when you go there. You need to pursue the innocence of, I am made perfect in Christ. Therefore, I ask as though I were an innocent child. I worship as though I were an innocent child. I'm thankful as though I were an innocent child. This is absolutely important. Does it seem nonsensical? Yes. Does it even seem childlike? Yes. Remember Paul writing to the church at Corinth, his first letter, first chapter, God deliberately chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wide, wise. Um, dare to be misunderstood in your pursuit of a relationship with God. Dare to be sneered at by the Pharisee hearted as you speak faith with the confidence of a child who does not know he or she is unworthy of being in the family. Pursue that innocence. And how do we pursue it? Again, something to know by presence of God. Um, and so let's quickly go to, well, let me just reiterate. Number one, our only hope of abundant life is a real relationship of Jesus Christ. Number two, innocence is the result of having our sins covered and us being reintroduced to the presence of God. And now we are at number three, innocence in some way is a conduit to God's power. In some surprising way, it is a conduit to God's power. Uh, Jesus called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's strong. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, to the watchers, they would have thought of children as being like the lowest members of a society. Children were not made over uh, historically. You, you guys need to read this for yourself. This You won't believe it coming from me. Uh, but children had a much lower status in the ancient world than today as we get into a wealthier society. And we can, you know, dawdle, so to speak, and spoil our children. Um, the children had the lowest standing in the crowd. And so Jesus uses both the wonder and faith of a child, the innocence of a child, and the place of a child. In other words, they're lowly. They can't order anybody around. And he, he uses them with this astonishingly strong statement. He says, unless you get this, what they've got, unless you become as a child, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of kingdom of heaven. So there is something that happens in innocence that is a conduit to access to the promises of God. Now, what are the things to know? Number one, if you're not pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no chance of you living this abundant life where you are free from the bondage of that which has imprisoned you. You are healed from the wounds of that which has harmed you, and you are stepping into a life of flourishing family and mission. Uh, this flourishing, the threefold cord of flourishing, your family, your 
secular career and your spiritual mission. It's a threefold cord. Um, so, uh, again, the example, freedom from Egypt, healing from the damages and the mentality of the slave mentality, and third, flourishing in these uh, threefold arenas of our, of our life. Um, that's the second. So, relationship with God. And uh, uh, the second one is um, innocence comes through the washing of sins and spending time in God's presence. And thirdly, this innocence that we cultivate through faith and thanksgiving of redemption, um, it becomes a conduit to the power of God. The faith of a child in some way is powerful where us adults in our uh, critical thought processes, um, we fail. So let me say it this way. Innocence keeps our minds and our hearts pure and continually gives us confidence with God because we have no sense of our own worth or un unworth. We have this natural attitude of happy dependence upon God. And this happy dependence, this wonderful, filled with wonderful relationship with God, um, it becomes the fertile soil of real um, miracles, real miracles. We begin to uh, soar in the miraculous because we no longer are plagued by the conscience that condemns us, number one. We no longer try to be good enough for God. We celebrate, we become a worshiper, not a Pharisee. Does that make sense? Um, and uh, we are able to, uh, because we don't think we're anybody and we're joyfully dependent upon God and we derive our goodness from Him and not comparing ourselves to others, this, this, this almost childlike innocence is created in our relationship with God. And in my opinion, in my experience, it'll start first in your relationship with God. It'll start first in your prayer life. And then it will go from there into what you say. You'll notice that the, the things you say in your world are different, do you see? Um, you used to speak negative, you don't speak negative as much anymore. Um, it will start first in your prayer, the language of your prayer, and then it'll just go into the language of your life and then it'll some way begin to get into your personality and your conscience, consciousness. That seems to be the most, um, the most uh, normal, normal uh, step. But let me get you to the fourth thing here. So, real quick to review: fellowship with God. Number two, which we got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number one, that's the only chance of. Um, having abundant life. So relationship. Uh, number two, innocence through focusing on his goodness, not ours, and the wonderful hope of a child. Number three, this in some way creates a fertile soil for faith and you begin to expect great things. And what we are calling freedom, which is I am no longer under the controlling, coping limps, wounds, scars, and pains of my past. I am free. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Um, is a result of this innocence that has begun to work in our heart. Um, 
It started with a relationship with God. Okay, and then because we, through relationship and worship, we begin to get our focus right, um, this, this, this fertile soil of innocence is created. And this innocence, in many ways, is what the freedom, the lived, experienced freedom of Christ's healing within us feels like. And so... Uh, the tree of life is um, only known to an individual in innocence. Once there is guilt, the moment there is guilt, Adam and Eve see they're naked and they try to come up with their own systems for hiding their uh, nakedness. And what is that? Flawed coverings and hiding from God's presence. They're the flawed, imperfect coverings of their nakedness and isolation from God. Now, do you see how these symbols from the book of Genesis flow through through all of our lives? So, um, the, I, I, if you wanted to talk about, uh, I should rename this lesson to really um, some, some, some kind of a, a title that goes like innocence, um, how innocence is is related, connected, necessary for us to eat of the tree of life. And when we lose that innocence, we isolate ourselves from God and we cover ourselves with vanity and, 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 and counterfeit righteousness. It's counterfeit righteousness. It's not God's righteousness. How do we get back to the innocence, that childlike innocence? Well, uh, again, you need to start a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you start with prayer. That's the easy part. But then, having prayed, you can pray in a religious manner that's not authentic. What, are you, what have you been thinking about it? Are you talking to God about it? What have you been thinking about? What are you afraid of? Are you talking to the Lord about it? Have you told the Lord your biggest fears this week? How can you say you're close? This is a real relationship with God. Um, you take your biggest fears to the Lord and then you say with a Bible open in your lap, how would you want me to think about these things? This is real intimacy with God. You pursue relationship and this enables something in your life. This relationship allows you to turn away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is your critique of yourself and everyone else, even God. Your critique of yourself and everyone else, even God. You turn away from that. And you begin to realize that you're not celebrating your goodnesses because if you've, if you've missed anything, then you bear the weight of it all. And you realize you're not called to be a Pharisee. You're called to be a worshiper. The, the joy, the thanksgiving, the celebration is pointed at God, not me. Well, once that weight comes off of you, once that weight comes off of you, you're able to really be thankful, you're able to really be a worshiper, and most importantly, you're able to ask in faith because your conscience is not condemning you. You understand there is a solution to your imperfection. And as long as your love for God is motivating you to keep turning back toward his nature, you're in good standing with him because it's his accomplishment. The danger is when you lose that love, We'll talk about this more in just a moment. And you, you, you are no longer being turned back toward God, toward him through love, but you are drawing away from him. You're critiquing yourself, you're critiquing others, and you're critiquing God. Um, then you're back. Uh, you've lost this place, this um, 
innocence that is necessary. So let me uh, share this with you. When we approach life with an innocent spirit, it changes how we live and think about every part of our life. The natural state of innocence is wonder and joy. Spend some time with children. Um, the natural state of someone living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is criticism, and I'm going to add to these notes, cynicism. Criticism and cynicism. Let me ask you this. How are you doing pursuing the innocence available in a real relationship with God? Have you repented of your sins, and do you believe the promise that he has forgiven you? Now, I know you can obey it because the preacher told you, but are you living it? Are you really celebrating the promises that by his stripes you're healed? Are you really celebrating that? Um, or do you think that you're still trying to be good enough for God? You're critiquing yourself, you're critiquing everyone else, and you're even critiquing God. You see, the first step of the tree of the knowledge is you critique yourself. Um, I didn't put this in the notes because it's just now occurring to me, but you can see it in the scripture. The first thing is you critique, you critique yourself. The next thing you do is you critique others. And then, separated from God, you critique God. Um, and this is, uh, this is uh, the opposite of the innocence that is available for, through believing God's promise. He said he loves you. He said he forgave your sins. But some part of you doesn't really believe it. And you wonder why you're living in cynicism and criticism. Because you're not believing and celebrating the promises of God. Um, you are turning back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, in the innocence of the tree of life, we realize that these tasks are done. Well, let me just go back to the top. I, I went to a new slide here. Reading the Bible, praying, and serving others should be sources of life, security, strength, and delight. I've given you a list of kind of religious duties, reading the Bible, praying, serving others. Uh, these are sources of life, security, strength, delight. These things should never be religious duties that must be checked off a to-do list. They feel like death when you do that. Why? You're still critiquing you. Am I good enough? You're critiquing others. No, sister so-and-so didn't show up. It was just me and my two friends. She didn't come. We're better than her. Um, and finally, you're critiquing God. That's where you end up in isolation. How could there be so much evil in the earth? In the innocence of the tree of life, we realize these things are done out of relationship, not responsibility. It's relationship, not responsibility. Um, ask yourself, do I? Well, let me let me add, let me back up here. Consider how you are living right now. Considering your your life with God, how are you doing living with God? Uh, does it feel like if I put these items up on uh, before you, the first item put before you was guilt. Second item was something like related, negative human emotions, shame. Um, the next thing was fear. Uh, or, or the next thing, the, for, the fourth thing I put up on the table would be innocence. How is your relationship with God felt recently? Has it felt like innocence? Well, it might be that you're not really believing that your sins are forgiven. You're, 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 you have this relationship with God that is, you've built a tree house in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're living there. And having done that, you're a little bit resentful over how good you're doing and other people aren't doing it. 
and like the people in the parable, we worked all day, and how come the person who came the last few minutes was paid the same thing? You're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You have a scarcity-based mindset, even though you pretend to be spiritual and you go to church. You have a scarcity-based uh, mindset, and you wonder why your relationship with God feels so much like duty. doesn't feel like innocence. Do I feel utterly innocent before God? If you don't feel innocent before God, this is something I know. You're having a hard time believing for miracles because you don't feel innocent. You're too busy critiquing yourself, others, and ultimately God. You don't have this, this core foundational faith in your life because um, you're really focused on whether or not you're good enough for God. And you believe somehow that salvation is your accomplishment, not God's. You don't have a childlike innocence. And uh, other believers can make you feel guilty when you pursue that innocence because um, uh, Pharisees love to point out any type of innocence and start calling you the hippie Jesus. You know, all you want is a hippie Jesus. Um, all you want is cheap grace. Um, uh, I guess the correct answer to be that will, would be like, well, you know, you're... You're trying to be good enough for God, and you're spending your life building tree houses in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're deciding who's good enough and who isn't good enough, who deserves heaven and who doesn't deserve heaven. And so what is your natural response to that? You cynicism and criticism. That's why Pharisee and Pharisee culture churches, they feel like they're the waterfalls of cynicism and criticism. Now, I, I'm not saying they're bad people. They're not. They're just people. We're all wrong. It's just some people are wrong in that way. All of us need mercy. Mercy isn't just for sinners. It's for saints too. And so a lot of good people go to churches that have a Pharisee culture where, yeah, we worship God, but bless God, we keep a probationary relationship going with everybody else around here. Look, do I think those people are lost? I don't, I don't, well, I'm not qualified to say. I don't want them to be lost. We're all flawed. We all have to become like a children. It's not my accomplishment. And me figuring out how to live a tree of life, blah, 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 is not me being good enough to be saved. I'm talking about abundant life where my life is a light shining in the darkness. And a, a, a rules-based religion um, oftentimes is perceived by non-church people of, um, I don't know what I want out of life, but I know it's not that. Do you see? Come on, let's be real. Let's, let's, let's get down to brass tacks here. Backsliders. They don't know what they want out of life, but they're never going back there. Come on. Kids who grew up in the church. They took it, and, and then they're done with it. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm not sure what I believe, but I promise you I'm never going back there. Um, uh, we, uh, Pharisee culture kills. It's not my opinion. It's the biblical opinion. The letter killeth. The spirit giveth life. You must be born again. You must become as a little child. You must pursue innocence in your relationship with God. And when you become aware of critiquing yourself and critiquing others, and ultimately it's going to end up you critiquing God, you've got to stop. And you've got to say, I'm not good enough for God. I received the promises of God in my life. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, this is, um, so, so asking yourself, how are you doing? Does it feel like innocence or does it feel like duty? Well, this is what Paul tells you you should do. There is... 
no condemnation. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that li- that leads to death. Do you see? Um, we must learn. We must understand these four principles that, that, that I, I've given you. And um, I, I, I apologize. I'm going to redo these notes. I want to make it better for the next time I teach this. Um, the, the first principle is real relationship. You've got to have real relationship. Um, real relationship with God is going to increasingly cultivate innocence within you, just like back into the Garden of Eden. How is that innocence possible? Well, you realize that your salvation is not based upon your accomplishments and it makes you a worshiper of what God has done for you. That's how you uh, pursue innocence. Uh, You repent of your sin and you give your heart to God. Um, This is um, uh, fellowship with God results in innocence. Time with God results in this creation of a heart, a childlike heart of innocence uh, in you. Uh, And the third thing, the third thing is this innocence that is created through relationship. Relationship creates an innocence in you. Um, it corrects your heart of cynicism and criticism, creates an innocence within you. This innocence that is created within you in, in many ways is the fertile soil of the miraculous. Um, it is also the fertile soil of you receiving the gifts of the Spirit, including the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it is the ground, the soil out of which your freedom, your complete spiritual, psychological healing grows. Not just coping, but real spiritual, psychological healing that grows out of out of this state. So I told you four things to know. Now I'm going to give you three takeaways. The first principle is um, is this. We've got to learn how to think differently. I don't care how long you've been serving God. I've been serving God um, imperfectly my whole life. I'm still serving God imperfectly. Um, I'd like to do better. I'm trying to do better. Um, I have a problem thinking right. I have a problem getting my thoughts in order. Um, and sometimes I, I, my thoughts mean I don't see the miraculous in my life because I cannot get out of my mindset of cynicism and criticism. Me judge myself, me judge others, and ultimately me judge God. I can't get out of that to the innocence of a child that worships in wonder what God has done for them. They can't believe the amazement that the Lord has made me as though I am perfect through his redemptive covering. So I can have faith. There's joy. I've been made whole. Um, So I have to learn how to think differently. Romans 12 and 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How's that going to happen? The renewing of our mind. So this is something to do. We talked about four things to know. Relationship to innocence. Yeah, remember that? Let me see if I can find a, a simple way to take it away. Relationship to innocence. Innocence to the miraculous. And uh, the miraculous, whether it's Holy Spirit, to real spiritual freedom or emotional, psychological, and spiritual wholeness. Um, and so uh, we... 
first, those are the four things to know, and here's what we've got to do. Um, we have to learn to think differently. The pattern of this world, the manner of thinking of our minds leads to death. The pattern of this world leads to death. God's will, God's presence, relationship, uh, repentance, surrender, that leads to life. Let me read 2 Corinthians 2 or chapter 10, verse number 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that self sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to learn to think differently. If I want to pursue real spiritual wholeness, real spiritual, uh, I have to, I have to think differently. My thought patterns are wrong. My thought patterns lead me astray. My thought patterns are always coming back. That leads to the second thing I have to do. I have to choose God's promises over my fears. I have to choose God's promises over my fears. It is through Jesus Christ that we can have a relationship with God. The separation is over. We have not, we are no longer banished from the presence of God. Therefore, the innocence of the Garden of Eden is once again available to us. How? Through Jesus Christ. But to enjoy this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we must receive his extravagant love, his extravagant grace to us. And this is given to us how? As a promise. How is this extravagant grace given to us? As a promise. If I don't choose to believe that promise, I'm always going back to this mindset of criticism and cynicism. I criticize myself. I criticize others. I criticize God. That's the pattern of this world. That's the carnal mind that is enmity against God. How do I receive this extravagant love? I have to believe a promise. Excuse me. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. Mm. I have to believe a promise. Let me repeat myself. How do I receive this extravagant gift of God? I believe the promise. It comes to me as good news. So I'm glad you've been serving God 30 years. I'm glad I've been serving God that long or longer. Imperfectly. But every day I have to choose promise over pattern. Oh man, that's some fine teaching right there. Promise over pattern. I have a pattern in my mind. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have a pattern in my mind, but I have to choose something over that pattern. I have to choose promise. It's not given to me any other way, just like Abraham. It's not giving to me in any other way but promise. And I have to receive God's extravagant love, his stunning mercy as a promise, a divine promise that must be accepted and believed. It will not be forced upon me. Let's talk about pattern here. The pattern of your thoughts is what wakes you up in the middle of the night with fears and anxieties. The promise is what you choose to believe in spite of the pattern. If you're not doing this, doesn't matter how many years you serve God, if you're not doing this, you are not in relationship. You are not living in the innocence of the tree of life. Uh, you are stuck in the pattern. You have to bring every thought under captivity. So you acknowledge the thought and then you declare, I choose the promises of God. You acknowledge the pattern. I wake up with anxiety. I have stress dreams. I wake up with anxiety. 
I acknowledge it. And then I say, I choose. And like Job, I speak to my fears. I've made up this mind, though he slay me. I'll serve him. So you speak to your fears. I don't care if this does come true. I've chosen to believe the promises of God. And there's something powerful happens when you, when you acknowledge, even if your fears come true, you've still decided to live this way. Even if my fears do come true, I've made up my mind. You choose promise over pattern. A promise will not wake you up at night worried and fearful. A promise must be chosen, repeated, celebrated, and lived. And you are the one who has to choose it, repeat it, celebrate it, and live it. This is the path back to life for you. This is the innocence of a child who actually believes his or her, fa his or her father when the father says you're forgiven. They actually believed it. But the cynical, critical adult says, oh, he just says that. He doesn't mean it. Do you see the mindsets? I reject the pattern. I must choose God's promises over my fears. Let me read Galatians 4 and 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, or Papa. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. So what are our takeaways? Number one, we've got to change the way we think. Our thoughts are a pattern that must be chosen against. Um, the second principle, we have to choose the promises of God over this pattern because it's the pattern that the fears, you have to acknowledge it. You have to speak your choice to live in promise. And even if your fears were correct, it wouldn't matter because you have chosen God's promises even when your eyes say it's not. This is the power of the story of Abraham. Your faith looks stupid, Abraham. I don't care, I believe. You're too old to have children, Abraham. I don't care, I, I believe. I choose a promise over this pattern. The pattern tells me the promise is never going to happen. The pattern tells me even your, my wife is laughing at me. My pattern says, boy, the joke is on me. I sure feel stupid. That's the pattern. I choose the promise. I don't care if I do look stupid. I chose to live this way, and on my deathbed, I'm going to say I live this way. Do you see the power of that? This is how real spiritual freedom is brought about in our, our lives. Um, and so let me take you back to Romans 5, verse number 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This leads us to the third takeaway, the third principle you have to live. Our motivations are different. What we do is not different. The why is the difference. So marriage example here. Um, let's say that um, I get a copy of my marriage license and I go into, up to my wife and I say, you see this? This means you have to hold my hand. And she says, really? Yeah, I guess I did marry you. Okay, here, I'll hold your hand. Then I go back in and I say, this means you should think of me sometimes and buy me little gifts. See, you said you would marry me. And she says, really? Okay, I guess. I sign, you know, I was dumb. I signed the contract. I said I do. Blah, blah. I'm stuck. 
That's a terrible marriage relationship. That's a ter- that is a terrible. You owe me. Can, can I know there's marriages like that? Because I know I'm, I spend a lot of time counseling people. You owe me. Um, this is not a good relationship. What would be a good relationship? To live my life in such a way where her life is better because of me and my life is better because of her. To live my life as though her best life is held in my hands. There's a lot of things she can do herself, accomplish herself, become herself, but her best life is in my hands. In other words, when she said, I do, there's a whole chunk of her life that she put in my hands. And she says, however good this part of my life is, it's in your hands, I'm stuck with you. And I decide, okay, since her best life is in my my hands, how can I make her happy? How can I make her feel safe? How can I make her feel loved? How can I make her feel proud? If her best life is in my hands, and so I begin to think on how I can show my devotion to her. So I begin to be kind. I begin to think about what makes her happy. I begin to consider what her love language is, not what mine is. I begin to think how I can please her, how I can live as so she's proud. Does that make sense? Um, So that's a healthy relationship because if someone is all the time investing in you, blessing you, kind to you, it makes you, man, man, man. Your heart has changed. That's the, that, that is what has happened in the difference of a slave relationship and a son or daughter uh, relationship. Um, so I re- let me read 5 again, Romans 5, verse number 1. We're justified by faith. Justice is taken care of. So now we have peace with God. If justice is satisfied, how is justice satisfied? Well, we were finally good enough that God decided we belonged in heaven. Oh, come on. If you have one sin, you're worthy of all the judgment. Our religious mind is honestly our own worst enemy um, in the gospel because the gospel is not human religion. It is, it's a, that's why Christianity is the fastest growing and largest religion in the world still um, because it is, it's a solution in many ways. Um, so since justice is solved, we're not being trying to be good enough for God. Now we get to reveal our heart. We get, we, we get to reveal our worship. And so uh, let me finish up with this third principle that we're talking about here, which is our motivations must change. Falling in love with Jesus turns the idea of duty into devotion, which is beautiful and wonderful. Prayer will be powerful and reading the Bible will, will refresh our spirits uh, when we're living in the tree of life. No more guilt, guilt-ridden sittings where we plow through 20 chapters a day because that's what Christians do. Religion says do it or suffer. Relationship says do it and live. Religion says do it or suffer. Relationship says do it and live. So uh, let me try to sum this up here um, in some way and kind of get us all on the same page if possible uh, where we can uh, begin to uh, understand and pray together. Um, There's four things you have to know. And those four things are number one, 
The only chance I have of a relationship with Jesus Christ or relationship with God is through relationship. The only... I've got, excuse me, let me start over in this section. Um, real abundant life in the Lord Jesus Christ only comes from real fellowship. God doesn't owe us anything. We're not good enough for anything. Um, and so through Jesus Christ, we have access back to the tree of life. The result of that is not just eternal life in the long story. It's the innocent heart in the short story. This is why Jesus can use a child as an example. So relationship through Jesus Christ takes us back into the garden, so to speak. And we then have access in the immediate term. We have access to this heart of innocence that's like the heart of a child. Our relationship with God, and this is the second point, produces this innocence within us. Now, if we don't have a relationship with God that feels like innocence, what it feels like is in some manner a continuation of cynicism and criticism, we're doing it wrong. We're living with the Pharisee heart. We're not living as a child in the presence of God. Um, and so this relationship produces innocence. That's one and two. Number three, innocence is this conduit to the miraculous. Because you can believe you have faith like a child. Of course God was. It's not about me anymore. The debt's already been paid. Why wouldn't I access the power of God? Why wouldn't I be healed? The debt's already been paid. The stripes have already been born. So relationship to innocence. Innocence to great faith for the miraculous. And finally, that miraculous environment in your life is what produces wholeness, psychological, mental, and spiritual wholeness. That's four-step process of things you should know. Okay, now, how are you gonna live that knowledge out? Number one, you've gotta learn how to think differently. If you're not thinking differently, you're stuck in the pattern of this world. Number two, you have to choose the promises of God over the pattern of your thoughts. Your thoughts are patterned in criticism and cynicism, uh, the knowledge of the world. You have to choose promise over that. It'll feel absurd. You'll feel like a child who is sticking his fingers in his ears. Um, you will choose that uh, as a promise of God because of promise. And you are so committed to it that even if your fears came out true, you still did the right thing to choose the promises of God. And finally, the third thing, it's not that you stop reading your Bible or you stop praying, it's that your motivation changes. You seek to have a love relationship with God. You seek to please Him because you are aware of His great work for you. There's no way I could live in this sense of hope and innocence, this sense of wonder and joy if it wasn't for His work. And so it makes me wanna please Him. If that feels alien to um, everything that you have been, you thought you were doing, <laughs> um, I want you to, I want you to know that it's hard for all of us, and I want us to pray together. Um, wherever you are right now, would you bow your head? Would you consider uh, this moment as a, a, a spiritual, even sacred moment? And would you begin to ask God to, in some way, work in your? own individual circumstances and your own individual needs. Lord Jesus, I'm praying today that you would guide, that you would bless, that you would strengthen all of your people. None of us are perfect. None of us are holy. But Lord Jesus, we have this bad habit 
we get stuck in the pattern of our thoughts and then we wonder why we serve in duty and fear. We wonder why there isn't many miracles happening in our life. We wonder why our testimony doesn't really impact other people. Uh, they, they don't sense any of that wonder-filled joy of uh, innocence in your presence. Uh, they just get the same. So they get plenty of cynicism and criticism everywhere they go, but now uh, they get it from the religious crowd too. And the religious crowd lives in the same world of criticism and cynicism that the unbelievers live in. They just have a different um, uh, angle from which to fire criticism and cynicism at people in their world. Uh, it's so uh, almost silly even for us to experience that pure childlike innocence of knowing that we are, first of all, we're not good enough, but yet we are. <laughs> we're not holy, but yet we are. And it's this gift. It's this gift. And that produces this joy, unspeakable and full of glory in our life. Help us today in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want so much to help you. I want so much to help me. Um, I, I don't have any particular insight to these things. Uh, uh, these ideas are not original with me. Um, I have my own unique way of kind of churning the butter. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yes, it's like the old preacher said, I milk a lot of cows, but I churn my own butter. <laughs> I get uh, material and information from everybody, but to try to, to say it uh, in a way that I can carry with me, um, a way of thinking. I, I have to acknowledge the battles in my mind. And if I live in cynicism and criticism, it's the same way the unbeliever lives. Um, I just have a religious style to it. I have to get out of that. And I have to recognize that through Jesus Christ, a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I can live in a joyful innocence that's almost like a child. I am good enough. I'm not, but I am. It's the gift of God. I am holy. I'm not, but I am. It's the gift of God. And I'm so crazy thankful that dirty, ugly, irritable me has a chance of eternal life. It makes me want to do better tomorrow. It makes me want to pursue that. And when I recognize religious people speaking cynicism and criticism into my ear, it's like, I don't want that. No, stop. I don't want that. I'm an, I know I can serve God that way. I know you're serving God that way. I don't want that. Well, did you hear? Uh, uh, stop. That's death culture. Did you know what so-and-so did? Stop. It's death culture. That's a treat. That, I might as well go to the club and live a life of my own abilities and my own talents and live in cynicism and criticism. I'm pursuing the innocence that comes from a relationship with God. He's removed the what separates me from his presence. I can go to the tree of life and that produces this childlike innocence in me. It reminds me that because of promise, I have hope. God's promised it to me. I have the miraculous God's promised it to me. And I refuse to live in that death culture of the Pharisee. Who said this and who said that? That's no, no. I choose life. This is what it means to live in freedom. And this is what real spiritual wholeness in your life is going to look like. This is what real spiritual wholeness in your life is going to look like. Where the stuff that used to damage you, or it was, it was damaged, but it's healed. You're no longer coping with it. You, you have this sense of a child, like you're being reborn. Oh my goodness. I hope
hope I'm making sense. I so, so, so want to help you all. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Let me invite you to our weekend services. Uh, we have two services at our Charlotte location, um, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Uh, we also have Spanish service uh, at the Charlotte location at 2, a sister congregation. We have a French African congregation also at 2 o'clock um, at the Charlotte campus. Uh, we have a sister congregation in Concord that has service in Spanish at 11, and we, have, of course, have the English service uh, that is at 2 o'clock in the Concord location. We would love to get to know you. We're not anybody. We're not, we're not you know, celebrity preacher types. We're, we're, we're just people. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, we'd love to walk with you, do life and ministry and spiritual growth with you. That's enough. God bless you. We love you all. Have a great week. In Jesus' name, God bless. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.